The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I am, hey, guess what? Mitch LaFawn. Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny how that works out? And, uh, you know, the other thing is, at some point, I'm going to learn how to fade out that intro music. But until then, certainly I hope you enjoy that 45-second jam. Listen, today's episode is jam, jam packed. We have got Rubicon, Night Ranger, Ozzy Osbourne guitarist Brad Gillis talking about Night Ranger's new album, Don't Let Up. I have it. It is absolutely fantastic. And on the other side, we have Gillen Ozzy Osbourne guitarist Bernie Torme with all kinds of great stories. We start off with Rock News featuring Bill Leverty of Firehouse, and one of his news stories is about Night Ranger and their drummer Kelly Keegi taking a leave of absence for medical uh, purposes, and drummer Dean Castronovo, formerly of Bad English and Journey is going to be filling in until uh, Kelly gets back. And guess what? I just happen to be friends with Dean. So right after Bill is done with the news story, I decided, hey, let me get Dean on the phone and have him sort of explain the news story, which he does. So he talks about that, uh, Journey getting into the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, he talks about the new album he's putting together with Jack Blades, um, bassist and singer. Um, well, sorry, Night Rangers bassist Jack Blades. And uh, the album's called Revolution Saints. So we talk about all kinds of stuff. And so here, without further ado, with your rock news, is the one, the only guitarist of Firehouse, Bill Leverty. Hey, thanks a lot, Mitch. Here's the rock news. In a new interview, Metallica guitarist Kirk Hammett has once again defended the band's 2011 album, Lulu, calling it one of the most important albums he has ever been a part of. The band's collaboration with Lou Reed was summarily criticized by fans and media alike. Next up, Rush guitarist Alex Lyson insists that the band's touring days are done, but recently let it slip that he will probably collaborate with bassist singer Getty Lee in the near future. No word on whether or not self-proclaimed retired drummer Neil Peart would take part. And speaking of drummers, Night Ranger's Kelly Kagi has taken a medical leave of absence from the band following a successful heart procedure. Cinderella drummer Fred Curry and former Bad English Journey drummer Dean Castronova have been tapped to keep his seat warm until his return. Night Ranger are currently on tour supporting their fantastic new album, Don't Let Up, and we wish Kelly the best. And finally... Legendary guitarist Alan Holdsworth has died. I first heard about Alan Holdsworth in the late 70s when I read an interview with Eddie Van Halen in Guitar Player Magazine. Eddie talked a lot about how Holdsworth had influenced him, uh, mentioned his solo in the song In the Dead of Night by a band Holdsworth was in called UK. I went out and bought that album and was instantly a Holdsworth fan. Holdsworth pioneered guitar like no one else has ever done. He was a true musical genius in every sense of the word and influenced thousands upon thousands of guitarists. Rest in peace, Alan Holdsworth, dead at the age of 70. Okay, that's it. Back to you, Mitch. 
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Thank you, Bill. And as you heard uh, Bill say, Dean Castronova is going to be taking over for Kelly Keegi and Night Ranger on their Don't Let Up tour. So I thought, hey, why not get Dean on the phone? So, Dean, there you are. How are yes, you? Sir. How oh, are you? I'm very good, man. I'm very good. Just actually getting ready to... Um, um, get uh, this uh, Revolution Saints record going here pretty soon here. Yeah, the Revolution <laughs> Saints. We'll talk about that, too. And, of course, uh, Night Ranger. Yeah. Now, now the fun thing is that both those projects include Jack Blades. Now, uh, this is not a full interview. We're going to sit down and do that at some point. But let's just start at the top here. Uh, Bill uh, Leverty, of course, was mentioning that you have joined Night Ranger. You're keeping the seat warm, I guess, is, is the way to say it. But... Uh, uh, yes. Talk, talk yeah. to me about that. How, how did you get the gig? And, and it's got to be a great to get back in sort of the big leagues and playing with the big boys again and stuff, right? If I can say it that yeah. way. Yeah, dude. It, you know, it was, I got a call from Jack saying that, that Kelly was having some, some heart issues. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit. And he goes, man, I'd, I'd love to have you come out there if you could, if you could fill in for him. And he was just kind of rounding about it. And I, I did want to go jump in and go, yeah, dude, I'll do it right now, man. Yeah, I'd love to. So I, I kind of let him approach me. So we didn't talk about it. And then he called back maybe two, three hours later and goes, look, would you be interested in, 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 in taking Kelly's place for a little while while he heals up? And of course I jumped at the chance. I mean, my God, I'm, I'm a huge Night Ranger fan from back in the day. I've known Jack and Kelly and all those guys since, gosh, 1987 is when I met those guys. So I've known them for a long, long time. And, uh, I was, it was, it was a no brainer. I was ready. I was, I was way into it. I'm excited to do it. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely, uh, you know, off the hook as they say, but uh, you're, you've now hit sort of the, the, the trifecta of melodic rock bands. I mean, bad English <laughs> journey and night ranger. I mean, all you need is a stint and sticks and you've, you sort of done it right. <laughs> That or foreigner. Or for, or oh, yeah. In fact, but it doesn't. No, you're right. You've got two more bands that you have to go play with foreigner and st- no. Yeah. But that it's still it's it just speaks uh, volumes to, of course, your ability. And let's not uh, mince words. People like to get you because melodic rock requires great vocal melodies. And guess what? You're yeah. able to do right. Yes, exactly. I, you know, thank God I know all this stuff. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I, I was lucky to have a pretty decent voice. So <laughs> I've been very fortunate in that regard. Definitely, bro. And uh, Kelly, of course, does Sister Christian. Are you doing Sister Christian or are they going to hand that over to Jack Blades? They're going to have me do it. We're going to give oh. it a shot. And yeah, um, he wants me to do that one and sing me away in Sentimental Street. So we'll, uh, it's, it's going to be a challenge, obviously, because Kelly's got, uh, a really bluesy voice, and uh, I'm more along the lines of that, you know, Steve Perryish kind of a sound. But you know what? I'll do my best. I'll I'll do my best to do it justice, and hope that the fans will enjoy it, man. You know, I'll do my best. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be great. And of course, you mentioned Steve Perry, Journey just induc- uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, you weren't obviously able to get there, but how was that for you to see the reports with Neil and Steve? hugging each other and actually having a smile on their face in the, in their presence rather than all the nonsense we've heard over the years. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was very proud of the guys, obviously. I mean, they're, they're brothers to me and to see them finally after years and years and years of being dissed to be put up there, you know, I was so proud of the guys, obviously. And to see Neil and, and, and Steve, like you were saying, interacting like that. Oh, thank God, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's the dynamic duo, if you want to call it that. I mean, those guys, 
Yeah, and they've wrote, you know, written some of the best songs on the planet, in my opinion. So, yeah, it was, it was nice to see them smiling and happy and reconnecting after all these years because of the, you know, the whole going through the attorneys thing, you know. It, it, it was nice to see them, you know, embrace, embrace yeah, the moment. being That's, brothers again. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and you exactly, know, really a lot of, of folks really latched on to the Steve and Neil picture. But I got to tell you, as much as great as that was... The pictures of Arnell with Steve are the ones oh that really God. hit home for me because you could tell that here's this diehard fan who learned all the songs, you know, sang them in his bedroom. Now he's getting to see his hero, you know, his yeah. his Superman, his Batman or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, those pictures were great, right? Oh, dude, I honestly, yeah, those choked me up. It was me because I know we've talked about it, Arnell and I, for many, many years of how how would you react if you met him? You know, <laughs> he's like, I don't know how I, I, it would be so interesting. And so, and so crazy for him and, and for him to do that. I mean, you could just see that, you know, and Steve was so gracious too. And so cool to Arnell embracing him as well, you know, uh, giving him a shout out, uh, you know, as, as the movie singer and carrying the torch, so to speak. Yeah. So that was really cool to see that man. Very, very cool. Yeah, it really was. And uh, before I let you go here uh, quickly, revolution saints, I think the first album came out in 2015 for folks that don't know. It is yeah. you Jack blades of night ranger and Doug Aldrich currently in the dead daisies, formerly of white snake and that album folks, if you have not picked it up or have not heard it, head over to Spotify, head over to iTunes, Amazon, wherever you get music, buy it. It was one of the best melodic rock albums of 2015, if not one of the best in, you know, of the last 15 years, quite frankly. Um, and, Thank you. And, yeah. Thank you, Mitch. And you're doing a second one. Yes, getting ready to do that, man. We're uh, going to be in the studio here shortly. We're going to be uh, finishing that thing up. Uh, we'll probably be done by, uh, we're supposed to be done by May 11th, so um let's see we're going to be doing a show on the 29th in um milan it's going to be our first show ever so uh that's going to be really cool to do that show and then finish up the record and then hoping to go out um in october of this year uh doing some dates when the record's uh, to be released so yeah we're very excited about this it's oh, going to be awesome that is going to be so very great. excited bro. now 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 the, the the first one like i said was a, a melodic rock masterpiece are we sort of keeping it in the same vein or are we going to try a little different are we going to push some boundaries or what are we doing sort of sound-wise on the second one? Well, I think on the second one, we're, it's actually uh, Doug and I and Jack are going to try and do a lot more of the writing. You know, the last one was, we had, you know, we had um, Alessandro Del Vecchio who wrote a lot of the songs. And, and uh, so we just kind of came in as hired guns and did what they told us to do. Played the drums, played the bass guitars, did the vocals, and um, released it. This time, uh, you know, Doug's going to definitely have his stamp on this, uh, as well as myself and Jack. We're going to have a lot more input into this and um you know well, the stuff that we've got so far I, i'm really I'm amazed at it this stuff sounds great dude i'm really happy with the demos and what's uh what's been coming out and so um yeah we're pretty pumped about this one it's going to be really really cool you see and that speaks to the quality of the band because like you said you were just hired guns to do this project for frontier records and now all of a yeah. sudden it was so well received so powerful that you became a band and there was no intention of being a band it was just yeah. let's go make a paycheck and and now it's a band and that's cool <laughs> exactly dude oh no it's, that's the greatest part of it so us uh, being involved in the writing process and and putting our two cents worth in you know me helping with lyrics and i actually came up with a couple guitar riffs that, that doug took and fixed and made them cooler <laughs> so that's just kind of cool so i got my i got a little piece of that in there so yeah coming together as a band and writing as a band is going to be really important for us i think you know to take it to the band level you know and not just a higher gun level. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. So, let us get into our our first interview. I've got, I guess, we could call him your new boss. One of your new bosses, right? Uh, Brad Gillis <laughs> yes. from Night Ranger, talking about their new album, Don't Let Up. It was recorded at the end of March. Uh, so why don't you set us off and give us the intro to the Brad Gillis interview? Awesome, ladies and gentlemen, my new boss, the guitar god <laughs> from Night Ranger. You know him as Brad Gillis, the one, the only Brad Gillis. We are speaking with Night Rangers. Brad Gillis, the new album is Don't Let Up. And uh, Brad, I have actually purchased the CD from Japan and uh, been listening to it. It is absolutely uh, stunning. It's just rock in your face. <laughs> you can't really describe it any other way. <laughs> So, well, appreciate it. We had a lot of fun doing it, and you know, we're kind of waiting for the uh, the release uh, here in ten days in the states. But I'm glad you got the Japanese early copy. That's cool. Yeah, and it's got, of course, uh, we can work it out as an acoustic bonus, which which also sounds fantastic. So, l let's just get into to this. Um, it's your first album with Carrie Kelly. Uh, just talk to me about what yep. the band was trying to do and what it was like to have that sort of new energy. Because whenever you change a band member, you sort of get a new energy, both positive and negative sometimes. But what was it like having Carrie sure. and, and putting this together? Well, I'll tell you, man, you know, Carrie's been uh, working with us for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, it was tough for me when Joel Hoekstra left the band to go to White State because him and I were partners in crime and just had a blast for, you know, seven, eight years doing everything we did and touring all over the world. But, uh, you know, when, when, when Joel went to uh, TSO and we got Terry into sub, he just, you know, fit in like a glove and was just, you know, the nicest guy in the world. A lot of fun to, to hang out with and just a great player, plays with Les Paul, got the look, and he just melded right into the band. And uh, same process with Joel, man. Just I, I had a great time with Terry, uh, just writing the record and doing harmony solos, and he'd come over to my house, my studio, we'd sit here for a couple days working on stuff. So it was... It was a pleasure, and everybody just loves the guy in the band, and this machine is rolling, baby. Yeah, and of course, Carrie did, uh, well, I, I've known Carrie personally for like 20 years, uh, Warrant, Rat, Alice Cooper, uh, you know, his his CV is, is well-rounded. Um, 35 Years and a Night in Chicago came out recently. Um, talk to me about the band's 35-year history, because it, it has had its moments, uh, 1989 being one of them. Um, what do you sort of remember most, and what's it, what's it been like sort of sticking around this long? Well, I tell you, you know, what I remember most about Night Ranger is just the heyday of kicking ass and MTV coming out and being all over that and, and going on these great tours with everybody. And then, you know, after the Dawn Patrol record, uh, we released Midnight Madness, and then, you know, then Still Rockin' America comes out, and I was number one on MTV, and, and uh, uh, touring with everybody, you know, and, and next thing you know, we release this, this little old ballad called Sister Christian, all of a sudden all over the radio, big smash hit, and they came, you know, to us saying, uh, hey, you guys are doing great, it's time you start headlining. So we thought, oh man, okay, no problem. We geared up for this whole headline tour, and when we started, I'll never forget, uh, I think it was late, I think it was late 83, pulling into La Crosse, Wisconsin, pulling up to the Coliseum on the marquee. It said Night Ranger sold out. So, uh, you know, seven, 8,000 people. So it was our first sold out Coliseum as Night Ranger, and it was very exciting. So I remember those exciting times like that. Also, you know, playing, you know, the Texas Jams and, 
and all these big gigs and, and uh, you know, uh, just selling records and going all over the world. Japan loved us, went crazy for us, going to Europe. I tell you, man, it was a very exciting time uh, from 83 to 89 before we broke up. But, you know, you got to realize we're doing a couple hundred shows a year uh, for like nine months. And the other three months, we'd be in the studio recording. So, you know, from early 83 to 89, we were pretty much fried. You know, we just needed to take a break. Uh, the record company kept releasing ballads after that and, you know, just kind of killed us. We wanted to be a rock band, but we had no say when a record company wants to release something, they release it. You know, you're pretty much owned by them. So it's kind of what it was, but the run was great. We broke up. Everybody kind of did their own thing. And in uh, late 95, early 96, we got a, a, an offer from Japan with a record deal and a tour. We got the original band back together. So basically, we all got back together. I'll never forget just getting into, into a rehearsal. And all of us, you know, hadn't played for five, six years and just going through the songs. And it was like, wow, everybody was so excited to, that we were doing it again. Because you got to realize, you know, we spend that time signed with a band and so many memories and so many records and, and everything that we did that uh, we were like, oh, wow, you know, this, you know, let's get back doing this thing again. So it was very exciting getting back together and you know here we are you know it's been 35 years since we uh the first release of Dawn Patrol and and, yeah. and we're having a blast and looking forward to this new record coming out and another big tour this year yeah and i think that's why the the album is properly named don't let up because you look back to somewhere in california you look back to high road and even 24 strings and a drummer and it's just some of your best material and, and i certainly don't mean to demean Dawn Patrol or man in motion but but you're just still kicking ass. So, so when you go into a, a recording session, what is sort of the, the thought? Are you thinking we need to make a hit single? We need to just do something the fans will like? Or is it just, hey, we just need to do something Brad and Jack likes? Like, what is sort of the mind frame? As no, you... no. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you, Mitch. This is how we do it. You know, the nucleus of the band has always been Jack, Kelly, and me. And basically what we do, we start a new record. The three of us get together. Uh, you know, with live drums, guitar, and bass, and we just sit in a room. And this, you know, for this record, we went out to Kelly's in Nashville, and he's got a full setup in his house, and his living room had his drums and amps and bass amp and everything, and and and, and a full PA. And we just start jamming, just jamming on. You know, yeah, I got a riff, guy. Yeah, check it out. Oh, Jack's like, hey, man, I got this 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 melody for the chorus and a couple chords. You know, so we just jam out all these different ideas for like two or three days. And next thing you know, we have five or six songs. And that's like the, you know, the, the, the basis of these new songs. And then once we, we you know, start recording, put them down in, in Kelly's studio, you know, and then, then we shoot out to my house. We do a couple more over here up at Jackson, his house, and do a few more there. And, you know, then we get Carrie involved and Eric Levy on keyboards involved. And they kind of come in after the fact and kind of put some icing on the cake and put their, uh, their two cents in. And uh, actually, Carrie ended up uh, doing a couple things with Jack at one point, and we just do whatever it takes to finish it off. And we knew we had something good, just like the last couple of records, because Night Ranger has always been a band about, you know, melody and harmonies and, and cool lyrics and twin guitars and harmony, guitar harmonies and, and uh, you know, try to distinct solos between, you know, uh, whether it's the back in the day with Watson or Joel Holstra last, you know, last couple of records and now Carrie Kelly. So, 
uh, we just got this kind of a format that we do, and we try to stay to the, you know, what Night Ranger is all about. We right. try not to stray too much, and, you know, it's the last thing you want is people go, hey, man, it doesn't even sound like you. You know, where, where are they trying to go with this? So uh, I, I think we, we, got, we kind of got this thing down, and, and whew, we're really looking forward to releasing this new record, and it's great that you received it and you're digging it, because I tell you, I think this is one of the best records we've done in a while. And of course, every band member says that for every record coming out. But I've done a lot of interviews in the last couple of weeks, and I'm hearing the same thing. So I'm waiting for the public to hear it. Yeah, and, uh, and in fact, I'll tell you what, um, I was fed the sort of a download link to listen to it, and I was so impressed that I actually put down the 40 bucks to get the Japanese import. I mean, that, that to me is how good it was because, you know, you get the links and you listen to it and you do the interview and you just sort of, all right, move along. But this one, I said, uh-uh, I need the whole thing and I need the bonus track. I need, I need everything. Um, I, I do want to talk about 24 strings and a drummer, but before that, I want to just take you back to November of 1982. Uh, about a week apart, you have Dawn Patrol that comes out, and you have Speak of the Devil, um, Ozzy's album come out, or Talk of the Devil if you're in the UK. What was yep. sort of what was that like for you? Because you you know here you are, and maybe the expression's wrong, but this this young kid, you're 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 full of pep. You've got this guitar, you're ready to rock, and you've got two albums a week apart. J- just talk to me sort of about your headspace, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, Mitch, actually, they both came out the same week in the middle of October. Right. They were both released the same week, and they were both featured in Album Network magazine, which is the trade magazine for radio stations, as the two picks of the week. And I had both of them on there, and that freaked me out because I was the first one ever in their history to have two pick of the week releases together in, in Album Network. So I was kind of pretty much freaking out going, oh, my God, I got two records out at the same time. And, you know, the, the, the smooth transition when I, you know, when Rudy Sarko left Ozzy and then when I left Ozzy going into back to the Night Ranger camp, uh, uh, it, it was just exciting for me to, you know, to see them both shooting up the charts and, and NCV coming out. And all of a sudden they're all over Night Ranger, don't tell me you love me. And, and all of a sudden we hop on all these different tours and, I tell you, man, I, I really didn't lose a heartbeat from when I started with Ozzy up until Night Rangers release. So uh, from you know, uh, you know, late uh, or from early '82 after Randy's passing when I joined up until you know rejoining Night Ranger in late '82, early '83 up until '89 when we split up. I had quite a whirlwind of touring the world and releasing records. Yeah, yeah, it was it was more than just a the hobby at that point. Um... When you, you, you know, you've told the story many times in, in past interviews of when you've joined, how you joined, all that circumstance. When yeah. things with Night Ranger started going sour in 89, or maybe sour is not the right word, but when you guys took a break from each other, um, yeah. did, did you look back and say, hmm, I should have stuck with Ozzy, or, or did you call the Ozzy camp and say, hey, look, uh, I'm available now, or was there any moment of regret, or was it just... No, I did the right thing. No, okay. no, no, not really. I'm not really. I'll tell you why, Mitch. Here, first of all, you know, Ozzy's been through, uh, you know, five, six guitar players, you know, since uh, Randy's passing. And, uh, you know, I've been with Night Ranger the full time, except for when we split up between 89 and 95. And 
I just realized that, you know, I made the right choice only because we sold 17 million records. We got a new record coming out. We're here. We're touring all over this year, going back to Japan and sold 17 million records. So I, I, I don't think I made the wrong choice. Of course, I would have loved to gone in and done a record with Ozzy. Of course, who wouldn't want to do a record with Ozzy? But at that point, you know, with everything going on uh, and all the drama uh, and, you know, Rudy leaving to go to Quiet Riot, uh, it would seem like I, I needed to get back to my bros and Night Ranger. You got to realize we got back to, we got together in 1980 and for those first two years, put together this demo trying to shop a record deal. And these, you know, I hung out with these guys. We were all best friends. We were all Bay Area guys. And, and it just felt good to go back with them to uh, release this Night Ranger record. And nine months of touring a year and, you know, going and doing records and, and, 10 MTV, you know, number one uh, uh, songs. And, and, you know, I, I think I made the right choice. And, and like I said, you know, release a new record in 10 days. Yeah. But I, I can still imagine there, there must be one, one night a week or one night every year you go, what would it have been like, you know, 1987 on, you know, um, feeding off the mojo. Uh, sort of a semi-controversial album. You, you did it without Jack. Um Talk to me a little bit about that one. Was there, was that sort of a, sort of a, a middle finger to Jack because he went off and did Damn Yankees? Was it just like, hey, I need to make a living, so Jack doesn't want to be here. Tough luck. I got, I got to put food on the table. What, what, what was sort of that? Um, that's exactly that's exactly what it was, Mitch. I mean, okay. it's like uh, I was used to playing so much all the time that that you know to be to be denied my, you know, my, my, you know, my band and, and uh, just sitting around trying to put something else together just didn't seem right. And I thought, well, let's keep the Night Ranger legacy going. Just grab somebody else and, and, and see if we could uh, keep moving. And of course, you know, uh, Kelly did sing our, our, our biggest hit, Sister Christian. And, you know, Gary, man, I remember auditioning him. That guy came in and his voice just sang like a bird and played great bass and looked great. And, you know, we got a record deal and put out Feeding Off the Mojo, and it was a little different departure and kind of a sound, too, with David Prater uh, uh, producing it. But, uh, you know, we had a little run, did, a, you know, some pretty cool shows here and there. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I always thought, you know, it's, it's not right. But, God, you got to realize there's so many bands out there now, I won't mention any names, that don't even have the original singer, much less original members in the band that are, you know, that are out touring doing well so we gave it a shot didn't happen and the cool thing was when the japanese came in saying you know put the original band back together uh we'll give you you know give you a record deal and a tour in japan that's when we got back together in late 85 95 early or early 95 early 96 so we got back together next thing you know we're out touring we kind of had to build it back up again you know because uh uh, it, it was tough because, you know, the music had changed. It was the 90s. Uh, but now, you know, classic rock, like bands like us, you know, even though we don't get the big airplay that we got in the 80s, you put a couple bands together like Journey, Foreigner, and Iron Ranger, the tour we did in 2011, you're doing 15 to 23,000 seaters. You know, we did 65 shows around the world with those guys. So classic rock is still relevant. Everybody... They grew up in the 80s, so their kids have grown up and moved out. You know, these, these parents and stuff, you know, all want to relive old memories and come to a rock show to hear their favorite songs and just, you know, get out for the night. So ticket sales are great for classic rock bands, especially packages. And, 
you know, we got some great shows coming up. We, you know, we got a Steve Miller, Peter Frampton, Night Ranger coming up here in my hometown, San Francisco, here in a couple months. We got shows from Boston, uh, going to Japan. We got a bunch of big festivals. We do the casinos and state fairs and everything like that. But you know, we're still out playing it and doing it, and and uh, you know, I'll try probably throw in a couple new songs off the new record too. Yeah, and and who gets to play? Do you feel like I do that night? Will it be uh, Peter Frampton or or will it be you guys? <laughs> we'll let Frampton do that one. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, well, let me talk about the touring here for a minute because I am in in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and I just can't recall the last time Night Ranger was anywhere near. Montreal or Ontario or any, it seems that these packages do very well, but they do very well stateside. Is there any thought of crossing the border or heading over to the UK? I mean, I know Japan is somewhere that you, you go regularly, but what about us? Now, where, where are you exactly? Montreal, so in Canada. Mon- Montreal, Canada. Well, you know, we went through Canada in 2011 with Journey Warner Night Ranger. We did a bunch of shows through Canada. Right. And we've gone up there and did, did a couple of shows with uh, Alice Cooper. And we, we've gone through, through there and doing shows. And as far as Europe's concerned, Europe uh, is, an, is, is a hard enough to crack because uh, we didn't go over there every year. And because we didn't, uh, we're not as big as we could be if we would have gone over there every year. So uh, basically, we don't really make money when we go over there. But, you know, we, we, we did hear, hit Europe with, uh, also with the Journey uh, Foreigner uh, uh, tour. But, you know, we try to get everywhere we can. But, you know, we're, we're big in the States. We're big in the Midwest. We're, we're big in Japan. Right. We kind of we first go to where we're most popular and make the most money. Cause it's all about making a living. And, you know, because that's what we do. This is our main focus. Yeah, it's fair enough. Um, let me take you back to, I, I guess it's 2014 or maybe 2013. There was a... Uh, Kiss Def Leppard tour that was announced, and Night Ranger had been one of the names that had been associated with it. Uh, Jack later said that you guys had to pull out because the money just wasn't there. Did it really just come down to a situation of the money wasn't there, or was was it just not a good package for the band? No, no, no. We we don't mind going out with anybody that has you know that's relevant to the '80s that you know is least in our genre of music. The thing is when a lot of bands go out, a lot of big big A bands, they really don't want to pay much for an opening act. And sometimes when it comes down to when you're not getting paid enough, you don't make any money. And, you know, everybody makes money, you know, the, 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 the you know, booking agents and, and management and the crew and everything. And then the band ends up, you know, coming home with nothing. So, it definitely is a money thing. We got offered, I won't mention any names, we, we got offered a bunch of big tours, uh, but the money wasn't there. The thing is now, things are kind of changing. You know, we got William Morris booking us. They upped our game, they upped our money, and, we, you know, we're starting to get more of these, these cool shows. But, you know, you got to realize on a three-act show for an opening act, sometimes the promoter in that, <clears throat> in that city, you know, they just want to, uh, you know, right. take, and I, take and I, crap for the, an opening act. Um, 24 strings and a drummer live and acoustic, uh, reworking the songs. How was that for you to, to get in there and, and offer new interpretations and new arrangements for, for the big hits? Well, you know, that's, that's where Joel and I had to sit down together, you know, for a couple of days and kind of go through and figure out how we were going to do these harmonies and solos, especially things like, 
you know, rock in America. Don't tell me to love me songs like that. Uh, but you know, we ended up kind of working it out and we were able to, you know, uh, move, you know, moving versions on the fretboard to be able to play it lower because we could only go so high on, a, on an acoustic guitar. But, uh, you know, we pulled it off and had a blast doing that only because now we're going out and we're doing a bunch of acoustic shows where it's an, an evening with Night Ranger acoustically. And that's, that's a lot of fun for us because we do that like that storyteller thing. And we tell a lot of stories, play these songs acoustically. People are able to kind of do the close-up intimate environment. And it's doing real well. We, we have one coming up uh, a week from tonight in, uh, in Florida. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's kind of fun to uh, step, step outside of the box and do something a little different and break it down to basics. Yeah, you got to love that. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. I have so many more questions, but we're obviously out of time. Um, Brad, thank you. And uh, don't let up. Great, great album. Uh, you know, thank you. Thank you for that, too. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it, man. I'm glad you're digging it. And uh, hopefully we, next time we're going to talk longer because uh, I got a lot to say. Great. <laughs> thank you. Much appreciated. Have a good night. Right. Bye-bye. Take care, Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks, my interview with the Night Ranger guitarist, Brad Gillis. The new album is Don't Let Up. And uh, just to let you know, it is available now. We just happen to have recorded the uh, interview just before the release, but the album is out now, and I do recommend that you pick it up. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed. Unscripted. Unscripted. Yeah, let's go with that. A marriage made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You were no, the very first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Stephen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and now we'll move on to our second interview of the show. Now, keep in mind, not every single show will be two interviews. I just had a whole bunch amassed, and I figured I'll just pump them out there. But uh, since we're doing things in two, we had uh, earlier Brad Gillis of Night Ranger. New album is Don't Let Up, and of course, he was formally an Ozzy Osbourne guitarist. So I figured, you know, let's get a second Ozzy Osbourne guitarist on the show. So we're, we're going to talk to Bernie Torme. He also, of course, recorded and toured with Gillen. He's got a new album called Dublin Cowboy. And the interesting thing about Brad and Bernie is that when Randy Rhodes passed away, Bernie Torme came in and did, you know, a few shows with Ozzy and he was subsequently replaced by Brad. So, uh, you know, both of them sort of were in their sphere back in the day. So uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, guitarist Bernie Torme. We are speaking with legendary guitarist Bernie Torme. The new album coming out is called Dublin Cowboy. It is not only an album, not only two albums, it is three albums. It's a triple set. Um, boy, Bernie, that's that's a lot of work right there. You did right. I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it nearly killed me. 
So we'll, we'll start with, with Dublin Cowboy. We'll talk about the, the three albums, the three material worth of, uh, of album, or the three albums worth of material, and then we'll start looking back at some of the other things you've done. Um, cool. Just, let, let's just get going here. We've got a live version or a live portion of the, of the disc. We've got an acoustic, and then we have uh, sort of the, the new songs. Um, just talk to me about yeah. putting together the three, or let's start with disc one, the new material. Yeah. Heavy stuff, very heavy stuff. I'm very, very much impressed, actually. I loved it. I, I had a preview of it. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, um, I have to say, it was a battle this time, because I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I'll do a triple album, and... Um, Man, it was it was like wow! I was, you know, all of the way I was thinking, I've bitten off more than I can chew here, but it kind of came together, and you know, at the end of it, I was extremely happy with it all. So, um, yeah, the rock album was probably of all of them the most easy album. I think, you know. So so talk to me about in terms of musical style, what the fans can expect with this one. Um I had like I said I had a chance to listen. It sound it sounds very guitar oriented, very sort of I don't want to say heavy metal, but certainly hard rock. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Was that important for you to do? Well, the thing is, I mean, you know, I'm known as a kind of a um a heavy rock heavy rock blues kind of player live i suppose um i've all i've always been too loud so it's i suppose it came um naturally i mean i you know because of my whole uh background you know with the gillen band and all of that we always played a lot of high energy pretty heavy tracks you know so um I've always tried to keep that up, you know, it's all almost a call sign, you know, it's almost like, hey, I'm doing the thing I always did, you know. Right, and then we get over to disc number two, yeah. and it's it's an acoustic thing. So, for, let, me, for, let me just ask you about this first. It's on Pledge Music, there was a Pledge Music campaign for, for Dublin Cowboy. Yeah, that's right. Um yeah. Does that give you the freedom to do this kind of triple album? Because I'm assuming if you had gone to one of the majors, they probably would have told you, listen, whittle it down to the ten best, throw a couple of acoustics in there with eight rockers, <laughs> and off we go. Um, talk to me a little bit about that freedom of what a Pledge Music-type site offers to the artist. Yeah, it's great, because I agree. If I had gone to um, a label, um, that's exactly what I have been told um i'm you know i started um doing a pledge projects two albums ago and it was just a great experience because you know i have you know enough of an audience to be able to finance an album that way and it's a great experience not having an a and man i've got to say you know um the age I'm at, I'm probably, you know, a pretty competent A&R man anyway. Um, I sort of recognize that the people I'm playing to haven't any interest in 
popular tunes. They really haven't. It's about for um, the kind of audience I have. It's the guitar playing and also, you know, the songs. I think. So it was. Um, it is a chance, you know, to have a plan and kind of do exactly what you choose to. Um, having said that, that's also kind of a double-edged sword because you have to kind of, you know, have a point that you judge it at and say, oh, no, I can't include that track or, you know, I haven't enough tracks here. It's, um, it is actually a challenging experience. It's a great experience, though. I mean, I'd, I'd suggest it to anyone. It's great. And you are hands-on, you know, to people, and people um, talk to you and say, oh, that's cool, or, you know, you know, you know they have their favorite tracks. And you kind of, like, have more of um, a real sense of how it um, reacts. You know, it's it's um, it's a cool experience. You know, yeah, it really is a cool experience. Now, uh, as we're recording this, we're not too far removed from your birthday. So quickly, a a happy birthday to you, and of course, uh, the day after your birthday is when you got the news about the um, Ozzy Osbourne gig and uh, the passing of Randy Rhodes. Uh, I do want to get you. yeah, I do I do want to get to that uh, towards the end. Um, but you did mention the Gillen Band. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you came into that in the late 70s. That's right, yeah. yeah. And in 79. Uh, yeah. Right, which was um, a, a great I, year in, in rock, for me at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one, you know, that's, I, I bought my first album then. It was Kiss Dynasty. So 1979. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cool. it's, yeah, it's 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 that year that stands out for me. But, you know, the, the Ian. Gillen Band, yeah, or or the Ian Gillen Band of before ha- had been doing sort of a, a jazz fusiony sort of this stranger non rock kind of music. That's you, right, yeah, yeah. He dissolves that, comes back with Gillen. You step in there, and you're pretty much credited with giving him the sound and giving him that metal edge or that hard edge. Uh, talk to me about coming into that band and. Were you sort of free to 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 be Bernie and and give that sound, or did you know Ian sit you down and said, "This is what I want you to play, and you're just going to do it"? How was that that band and that situation for you? It was a great experience. I mean, at that point in time, I had been playing in um, a punk new wave uh, band. Um, we had had a deal on Jet um, Records and had some. Singles out and had um, an album recorded. It just hadn't happened though. And I mean, I always found it um, incredibly co- uh, constraining because I'd been kind of grown up. I'd grown up on you know Jeff uh, Beck and, and Clapton and Hendrix, and I became a punk basically because I had to pay my rent. <laughs> I love punk, but uh, you know there was an awful lot of better punk bands. That, in the band I was in, so it was um, so at the point that uh, I was asked 
to join Ian. Um, I had played in a band earlier on with John McCoy, and um, he had joined Ian, and I actually bumped into him in London, and he said, do you want to do some um, supports? I said, yeah, we're having a hard time. Uh, Jet were contemplating uh, dropping us at that point. So um, I went off and we did, I think, two supports at university um, shows um, that Ian played. Um, and it was a great uh, band. I mean, the guitarist who was in it prior to me, I mean, at at that point in time, it was a rock band. You know, it had evolved out of the IGB, um, and that they hadn't had any success because in the UK um, people felt that the image was uh, a tad lacking, and they felt that. Uh, the guitar player they had wasn't enough of a hero, you know, a guitar hero. Um, I did those two shows. I, you know, wasn't actually aware of anything. I was absolutely terrified of Ian because he was a hero. You know, it was like, my God, I'm standing, you know, close to Ian Gillen. I wouldn't even talk to him, you know. So um, he saw me play and... Um, Basically, about a week um, later on, he called up and asked if I'd join. And I was, you know, I hadn't any doubts about it at all. So um, I just said, yeah. Um, I had a problem because at that point, I was still signed as an artist to Jet. Um, so at that point also, they hadn't a drummer. So we went down, and I mean, Ian was the best band boss in terms of creativity you could ever have. Um, he never, you know, said, play this, don't play that. It was just, you know, play it how you play it. And, you know, I played it how I wanted to play it and he um, loved it so it, it, it was a great experience you know and um in that um in i wasn't ever auditioned i just joined you know i never had a chance to audition because they didn't have a drummer so um the initial uh period of time i was in the band we auditioned drummers one of whom was ian pace and I'm thinking, my God, I'm playing with Ian Pace and Ian Gillen. You know, it was like, this was like, I can't believe this. And um, Pace he wasn't awfully keen on joining because he hadn't been playing and he felt it was too energetic and up-tempo for him. So he joined um, Whitesnake. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, having Ian as a boss, he was great. He was just, you know, lovely. I yeah. mean, I can imagine. Ever. And and the yeah. j just the 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 era when you're looking at the people that were involved. I mean, you've got Ian Pace, you've got Gillen. You know, there, there's there's the whole new wave of British heavy metal going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yannick Gertz uh, of now of, of Iron Maiden was part of this. You, you had the, White I mean, Spirit, yes. Yeah, yeah White yeah. Spirit. I mean, what a great yeah. uh, time to be a musician, especially in England. Um, let's let's look at Mr. Universe, the first album, with you. Yeah. Not the first yeah. album. For, uh, what was that like in terms of recording and putting it together? Because it, it, it became uh, quite successful. Uh, fans, certainly, as we look back... Um, what are we looking back now? 35, 30, yeah. 38 years now? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I might have to yeah. take a, a nap after this interview. <laughs> no, oh, yes, yeah. so, no, but 38 years ago, and, and fans still hold it in high regard. So, so tell me, what do you remember about Mr. Universe and, and putting that album together? Um, it was... Uh, really enjoyable album to record um it was very instant uh, they had some of the tracks um were re-records from the japanese album that they had done um earlier on with steve uh, bird on guitar um steve bird r.i.p he, he, he passed with the Away, a period of time ago, but um, yeah, and I it was about I think four um re records, three re records, uh, and everything else was um new at, at that point in time. It was just Colin Towns who was involved in um writing, and um, it was just uh, a great experience. I mean, I was, you know, to be honest, I was so happy to be just a guitar player in a band, you know, and, and a great band. It was just um, a very kind of creative time and, you know, stuff like, say, the track Mr. Universe. Um, the whole part in the middle of it, Colin said, you know, write it, you know, I did that whole patch of the guitar and drums um, thing, and I was just like, you know, it was, it was a really positive time, and to be honest, it kind of it was awfully innocent too, you know. It was um, at, at at that point in time we were playing clubs. I mean, it was you know, the Marquee Club, um, Barbarella's in there, Birmingham, and you know, little places, probably a capacity of two hundred or three hundred. You know, I mean, not large at all, but uh, you could tell from the reaction of the audience. It was just, you know, we'd play and it was just an explosion. It was just amazing, you know. Um, so it kind of, at the point that Universe came out, which I think was in September or possibly early, early in October, we went out and toured and at that point it started to kind of become a a tiny bit 
you know, everyone is, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm not earning enough, you know, Ian's in a nicer hotel, Ian's traveling separately, <laughs> you know, the band politics intruded. <laughs> so it was, it was, um, it kind of, that started to be there really almost by the end of 79, you know, and that, right. to be honest, you know, was a great pity, I think, you know, I mean, the, the problem is that at that point in time, the band hadn't any management. So it was, it, it, it was all terribly small time, hands on, and it didn't have a guy or a person there who was able to kind of like talk to everyone and say, calm down, be sensible. You know, it just went, it started to go a slightly askew, you know, at that point. Which which is remarkable considering the pedigree. I mean, you know, Ian Gillen is not some guy off the streets. I mean, he had the deep purple thing and, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, there yeah. was there was all kinds of pedigree, and 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 I have unfortunately to this day still seen uh, bands that'll stay at two hotels, and you know, or the crew will stay at a, at a lesser hotel. And I've just I've just never understood that. I think the best way to to create loyalty and to keep everybody happy is is everybody gets the same sort of road conditions. And I think that's true. Yeah, but I mean, to be honest, I don't in retrospect. I think it, it, it was because of Ian. I mean, Ian had, you know, a whole load of um, radio interviews and, you know, he had to be in different places at different times, you know. So, it, it you know, he, he actually had a reason to. It was, I think, the fact that there was no organization behind us you know it was just us basically you know and uh, that in terms of all of those bands at that time was extremely odd because everybody else had management but we hadn't any basically at all you know so it was it was um chaotic and in those situations you can tend to have people try you know to squabble about territory, you know, and that happened, definitely, you know. Yeah, and, and and that also strikes me as remarkable that a person of Ian's stature, knowing the business, knowing what he went through with Deep Purple, is putting forth a, a venture with no solid management. That It just strikes me as, as peculiar. Now, before or after you left, Ian went over and did Black Sabbath. When yeah. you heard about that, now and now, of course, you're on the outside looking in, and you hear that he's leaving to join Sabbath. What was sort of your initial reaction? Did it strike you as odd, or like, ah, well, I'm not surprised, you know? I thought it was odd. Um, I mean, to me, um, growing up, you know, I mean, the big bands, I mean, when I was late teenager was, you know, Zeppelin and uh, Purple, you know. That was um, less so at that point in time, you know. Um, 
I found it an odd thing for Ian to do. I mean, I talked to him about it afterwards. Um, the, the kind of thing about Ian is that, you know, he's um, a lovely guy personally, and he's, you know, incredibly easy to be, you know, the leader of a band. He isn't awfully organized, and um, he also, he hasn't, I don't think, the best judgment in terms of his own career, you know. He's he's always been a bit, if something comes up and he thinks, oh, I enjoy it, I'll do it. Um, he hasn't, you know, had an awful lot of... Um, I don't know, kind of outside judgment on it all. I mean, I look at Ozzy, and Ozzy has, you know. I, um, I mean, Ian is just, in an awful lot of ways, he's just too kind of easy going, I think, for his own good, you know. Yeah. Here I am. Here I am kind of, you know, saying... That I'd like to hear what he'd say about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, much worse than that. <laughs> well, in ter- well, you know, I'm I'm sure there's you know, um, John McCoy probably wouldn't have a lot of nice things to say about Ian because he he was sort of baffled with with the fact that Gillen was doing well in terms of, at least musically it was it was a good cohesive unit. I don't know about the financials. That's always, uh, yeah. you know, the fans never get to find out about that, but. Uh, walking away from Gillen seems to have upset John, and it seems to be something that he still holds to this oh, day, he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is which is remarkable. I mean, I think at, at some point we all just need to just go, uh, all right, yeah. what yeah. the hell? I just, uh, you know, if I speak to John, I try and stay off that subject. I <laughs> just, you know, I mean, you know, I kind of look at it all now, and, you know, whatever happens, um, all of us had a name afterwards that we hadn't beforehand. It was a pleasurable experience, and it was a great experience. And, you know, shit happens, basically. So I don't see the point in blaming. It's, it's um, Ian had to do what he had to do. He had his own problems at that point in time. And, you know, he tried hard to hang on to the band, you know, so um, I don't kind of think that, you know, the kind of post-band, you know, repetitive kind of bitching about it is is positive or even justified. I'm extremely thankful for the whole experience and for knowing Ian and, um, you know, if I'd been paid a couple of thousand extra, I wouldn't have complained. But it didn't happen, and it it isn't really, you know, all of that important, is it? Really, you know? No, no, certainly not at at this point. Um, let Let's just go back here real quick to to the whole Aussie situation. I know you've spoken about it at length for you know, 30-some-plus years now. Yeah, um, I know. It's, it's, it's like, man, I mean, I go into autopilot, and every so often I just try and crash the plane in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, well, you know, Don Arden 
reaches yeah. out to you. No, it, it, it was, it was actually... Well, Don paid you. David Arden, who's um, Don's okay. son, reached out, yeah. Okay. And yeah. were you surprised, by the way, just to, to get the call? Like, are you thinking, oh, Ozzy, Ozzy's heard of me? <laughs> or, or, or were you like, oh, I was, yeah. yeah, I was extremely surprised to get the call because, you know, A, the way news traveled in those days, I hadn't heard anything about it. I didn't know anything at all about it. Um, I hadn't left Jet on good terms. Um, they were extremely pissed off that um, I had joined Ian, and I had not told them I was joining Ian until they gave the clearance, even though I had been recording at a period where I was being paid by Jet. I was actually recording the Universe album. So um, uh, we didn't have a kind of um, a good relation at, at all. So um, I was kind of completely, utterly surprised. And I mean, the thing is, people don't understand. I mean, I was at a point in my life, I was... 30. Um, I'd always had my own bands until I joined in. I had been offered a solo um, recording deal after I left in. I'd um, recorded an album. I had a tour coming up. And um, basically, I have a call off of David Arden. So I kind of initially said, you know, I'm so sorry to hear about all of this. Only I can't help you because I'm, you know, I have an album coming out and and um, I have a tour booked. And I, the one thing you know, everyone knows if they play is you cannot walk away. You know, if you have signed uh, contracts and all of the, that, you have to do those things you haven't any choice you know so it's 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 um i kind of then um you know it kind of carried on and he was saying please 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 it's two thousand a week and i'm thinking oh well that sounds nice but um you know please help him out i said i'd love to help them and he he he, he then said it's it's only a month it's only a month, and we can find a replacement. You know, are you able to do it? I said, I will try and change everything and push everything back. So I spent literally a couple of hours on the phone after that. I had to call the agent. I had to call the record company I was on. And the agent had to call all the gigs and, like, you know, all of this. And... Finally, that evening, I was told, yes, it is possible to go back a month. So I said, okay. I called um, Jet and David Arden, and um, I said, yes, I can do a month. Only that's all. The thing is, in retrospect, I kind of didn't appreciate that he probably thought I was just playing harder to, to get and it was all 
bullshit. Because then I went out and, um, you know, because I was also told, no auditions, you have the gig. And I'm thinking, yeah, sure, I have the gig, no auditions, as if, you know. But I go out and, of course, there are auditions, there's three other guitarists. So um, it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm asked to do it. And I said to Taron and Ozzy, you know, I'm only able to, to do it a month. Oh, oh, really? No, no, no. And it kind of turned into a situation. They hadn't been told by David Arden. And they, again, probably thought I was playing hard to get and increase my price. I don't know. You know, it was it was a, it was a strange situation, you know. So um, that, you know, dragged on for a few shows. And I mean, it was horrifically difficult because I, you know, this is in the days of vinyl and cassettes. Um, no one in the band had a clue, had a, a clue what Randy played. It was just, you know, they aren't guitar players, so they had absolutely no idea at all. So it was, it was really, you know, I'm spending every day trying to work out bits and pieces at the beginning, general progressions, and you know, then. Bits. I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't think I even got close. I didn't, you know, I kind of realized after a day and a half, you know, I have to do a gig. I can't play what he played because I don't know what he was playing. So I'll go up and play what I'd approximately play on those songs. It was hard enough to learn all of those in a small space of time you know so it was it was uh it was um stressy and unpleasant and horrific i'm terribly glad i helped out because you know it was um nice to help people out and um i'm glad that i was asked but it wasn't enjoyable <laughs> it really wasn't enjoyable and, and you know and it, it's it's an interesting point that you bring up because now when you're asked to audition or, or learn a set, you, you throw on your headphones and you learn it on the, in, on the bunk on the back, you know, between gigs. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you're right. Having to plug in a vinyl, you know, a turntable on a tour bus in the middle of, you know, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania That's in right. 1982, yeah. Yeah. not obvious. No, so, no. And I mean, you know, yeah. you know I had... Um, um, a Walkman, a Tony Walkman, but I mean, God knows, you know, the cassettes were never awfully clear, you know, so um, you kind of like, and I mean, also, I got out there, having been handed by the record company two albums, you know, The Diary and Blizzard, and I said, well, what songs are they actually playing? Oh, I don't know, learn all of them. So I learned all of them. You know, they aren't actually playing all of them. So, and then the live arrangements are completely different in an awful lot of cases. So it was, it was just man. I mean, I was kind of like, I, I, you know, I'm, I, 
I'm lucky I had had the kind of experience I had had because, you know, in an awful lot of cases it had been uh, playing in proggy bands and, and um, you know, I mean, even, you know, the Mahavishnu type things. So I knew my scales and my chords, but it was it was... It was really impossible because, I mean, the guy was such a one-off. I mean, there are thousands, tens of thousands who play like he played now. Only at that point in time, there wasn't anyone else. There was only Eddie Van Halen, who was, who was close-ish, you know, and him. And that was it, you know. It was just, man, <laughs> So I'll tell you. I have nightmares about it still, Mitch. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So, so you know, because the story has always, or how I've understood it, let me let me be clear, has always been that after a month you you decided to quit to go for a solo. The, but you didn't really quit. It was sort of predetermined that we're going to do yeah, this. Yeah, it was. Pre- okay. Yeah, yeah, it was predetermined. I didn't. Okay. Quit at all. I mean, you know, to be honest, in. Ozzy's mind in the, the middle of it, he, he turned up and said, how are you writing? And I said, okay, um, you know, I'm write a lot. Um, he said, oh, yeah, because, you know, the next album and all of that. And I'm thinking, he still doesn't believe me. You know, he really doesn't believe me. You know, it, it was, I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of strange. Now, while sort of they sort of knew that you had this one month uh timetable so they they had brought in Brad to 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 start learning stuff and he didn't get a That's chance right yeah yeah did you ever get to to meet Brad back there did you hang with Brad was was he brought in sort of secretly how how was that uh, well he he came in um he came in he was actually sent in by I, I think it was it, it, was epic in um, Los Angeles, and he came in and he had to travel on the uh, crew bus because they didn't want um, me to meet him. <laughs> so I'm in I'm in a Holiday Inn at some point, or a, I don't know, yeah, or probably a Holiday Inn at some point in um, the morning at breakfast, and there's this guy. Sat at a table, and he's he has a guitar, an electric, and he's playing like incredibly. And I went over and I said, "Hello, who are you?" You know, and he said, "I'm Brad." <laughs> and um, so we had a chat about it, and he said, "You know, I've been sent out here um, because they think you're going to fuck up." <laughs> Excuse my. French, but uh, and um, you know, walk out. And um, I said, Oh, <laughs> and he said, But I can't, I haven't been able to get anyone to actually audition me. So I prepared to him, you know, I'll ask Don Airy because Don was the only guy who appeared to have any interest in auditioning anyone. So I went to Don and I said, Don. I met this guy, he's on the crew bus, he's been sent out apparently to replace me. He's great. Give him a try. And 
Don was extremely unenthusiastic about trying anyone. It, it was, it was, I mean, you know, I, in retrospect, I can understand it. They'd all had an absolutely horrific experience, you know, having um, Randy die. They kind of chose me because I had experience. Um, and I wasn't that enthusiastic, you know. I was like a bit of a cynical old guy. Um, so I wasn't going, whoa, Ozzy, Ozzy, you know, like all the time. I mean, it, it, to me, they were all just people, you know. Um, so I kind of think that after they had me in, they did not want to change, you know, that was a kind of a hard choice for them. And I mean, you know, to be honest, I forced Don just about to um, audition uh, Brad. And um, he, I, I mean, he was amazing. You know, the thing is that he had seen Rand be playing lots of times and he he even played covers of the songs in the band he was in so you know he was he was he was basically ideal you know yeah and of course since you you mentioned retrospect i think in retrospect the the best move might have been just to wrap up that tour and and start up again the year after and just let everybody have their time of grieving. It, it seemed that going back, I mean, essentially, like what was it, a couple of weeks or a month later? It, it was like, oh boy, really? That's... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, literally, um, Randy died on the Saturday. I was out there on the Thursday. Um, Randy died on the nineteenth, and the first gig I did was on the. First of April. So um, between traveling, you know, because it was, you know, I was um, a couple of days over here. Um, they had to get the gear out. Um, I had to fly out. I had to get to Los Angeles. Um, I had to be auditioned. I mean, there was really, it was um, no break at all. For them, for them, right? Um, right. I mean, it was it was March nineteenth. Well, the last show yeah. was March eighteenth, and then the next show was April first. So yes, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. you're looking at it was eleven, yeah, two, eleven or twelve, two weeks. I mean, days, that's yeah. that's yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to pass judgment on on that. I think maybe so, for some people, the grieving process is you get back on the horse and you keep moving, and for others is yeah, yeah. And I, uh, but you know, wow. in in yeah, I mean, in in um, their defense, I kind of think that Sharon recognized that if Ozzy stopped, Ozzy um, would very possibly never start again. I mean, because he was absolutely devastated about it. So I think it was um, for her to keep it going at all costs. I mean, in an awful lot of ways, you know, as used to pay, I mean, emotionally, it wasn't, you know, the best choice. 
But, I mean, again, you have to think, you know, it's 1982. I mean, for example, when um, Hendrix died in 1970, you only had two crew, and you only had the bands and two crew. I mean, on this, it was uh, a group of Arctics, two coaches. I think there was 40-plus crew. And... Um, you also had the kind of investment that you know the promoters had in 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 the gigs, you know. So, um, I mean, the one thing I clearly remember being out there is that all of the crew coming up to me and saying, "Thank you so much." Well, you know that that is a good point because, and and of course, again, I wasn't there, so I can't pass judgment. But you're right. Uh, if the tour does get canceled, all these people that had this commitment of a year of touring suddenly yeah. can't pay their bills, can't take That's care exactly of their kids. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, there there is that that human side that sometimes yeah. as as fans you just don't see because it is the music business, and there's a lot more. Than just people playing on stage. There's the truck drivers that need to pay for the family, and there's the, that's you know, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there I, is that machine. Um, you know, I do want to get to a couple more things here before before sure, we, yeah, yeah. we run out of time. Um, Torme the band. Yeah. Uh, Back to Babylon, and of course, uh, Die Pretty, Die Young, features yeah. Phil Lewis. Uh, who eventually became uh, the lead singer of L.A. Guns, was known yeah, as right. Girl before that, and he had played with Phil Collin, who went on to Def Leppard. Uh, it's like a history lesson today, I think, at, the, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but um, somewhere around, I'm trying to think, 98 or 99, I had a chance to work with Phil, and I helped finance and put out a solo record of his called More Purple Than Black. So I, I have a... A soft oh, spot right. for okay. yes, I have a soft spot for Phil. I think I think he's great. I actually, um, he's a lovely guy. He absolutely oh, I, is. I, I even yeah. spent a week uh, staying at his house somewhere around uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. I, I, it was it, it was great. I remember he said, uh, "Oh, I've got to get to this gig." Blah blah blah. Here, take my car, and the car was a Jaguar. And so I was like, "Huh, I'm driving around Phil Lewis's Jaguar in L.A." <laughs> Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's that, Phil though. I've yeah. I've always had shitty cars. <laughs> right, but I was like, you know, because I, I mean, at the time I was only like twenty five or what. I was like, yeah, this this works for me. Yeah, this <laughs> this 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 will do. You know, the Montreal kid in the middle of uh, winter down in uh, you know Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but just talk to me about about Torme. The project didn't go too long it only lasted a couple of those couple of records i guess yeah. part of it is because phil had this uh, desire or this need to move to los angeles and and go on with la guns which listen you can't bemoan that it, it turned out no well it was for him. the right choice you yes know? i mean definitely you know i think um you know Tolme was a great experience i think all of us loved it you know um the fact was that London at that point was stopping being um, a major kind of rock center. So I think that we suffered because of that. Um, well, it really did. I mean, yeah. you know, you started off in the early 80s with 
Diamond Head, Tigers of Pantang, Def Leppard, Iron Maiden, uh, Gillen, blah, 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 blah. And by the time we get to 85, 86, we're the Human League. And I know, that's the, right. Sure, the yeah, Thompson yeah, yeah. Twins, and you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, happened to I mean, Where's the rock? Just, you know, I mean, we played, you know, if you ever talk to Hill about it, we played uh, the marquee, I think, just about, I don't know, just about 100 times in two years, you know? And it was always packed. There was queues up the street. Could we get any kind of, like, major um, record company people on the management people down no we couldn't you know it was very strange uh, it was um almost as if you know the culture club had happened and that was it that was it it all stopped you know it was just kind oh, that's of right. uh, I forgot about culture yeah. club um yeah no listen uh, the, you went from the new wave of british heavy metal to the new romantics in england from duran duran to culture club to all that stuff did did you yeah. at any point with torme the band the guys say hey let's move this over to the sunset strip and let's see if we can get some of that heat i didn't okay. um because to be honest i you know i was a bit older than everyone else and i'd always you know i'd kind of come to um london in 74 and it was my home and and i kind of had you know i had success there so i kind of thought it was a blip i thought it was just a kind of a temporary thing and bill and chris um thought it was permanent and actually, I was wrong. They were two hundred percent right, you know. So um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and I was pig-headed, you know. So yeah. I was, yeah. Well, happened. okay. So, so let me ask you about that then. Any regrets? Do you look back at some of the decisions, whether it's telling Arden I'm only going to do Ozzy for a month, or whether it's uh, leaving Gillen, or whether it's not moving Tormate? Do you look back at something and say, you know what, maybe I should have told Ozzy I'll do <laughs> six months. Maybe I should have moved Torme to to Sunset. I mean, anything? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, it does cross my mind, but I, I'm not a person who kind of, you know, thinks, oh, shit, I oughtn't to have done that. I mean, you know, on the positive side, I've always been, you know, able to, to do the things I enjoyed. And, um, you know, I haven't ever been, um, you know, a, a big name. I'm not, you know, Joe Bonamassa or Steve Vai or anything like that. But I've enjoyed it. And I still enjoy it. And unlike most of those kind of people... The most important thing to me has been writing and um, recording. I mean, playing I enjoy, but it's kind of only on top of writing and recording. So, um, you know, I haven't, uh, I can't say I've ever been particularly clever or wise or even half sensible in terms of business. I haven't, not at all. But um, I kind of, came out of it and I'm relatively sane and I still enjoy what I do and I don't think you can ask for more to be honest 
No, I think uh, life's greatest pursuit is just to be happy, regardless yeah. of what that means. Um, I'll start wrapping up here, but uh, quickly, uh, Guy McCord, Torme, uh, yeah. the last we've heard from that band was 2011, of course. Uh, John uh, had his reasons for that. Is there a chance that, that that might reactivate at some point, or have we sort of moved away from that totally? I don't really see it um, reactivating. I mean, it was, you know, it was um, a good experience while it happened. But um, I think that for all of us, I think it's um, past, you know, to be honest, really. And um, later this summer, I'm going to go uh, see... D. Snyder at the Rock Fest here in in Quebec. All right. Yes, I I love D. I I, I, yeah, he's great. I've had some great interviews with him, and I've had some great uh, encounters where we've had you know great chats. Um, But Desperado, uh, the band that 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 should have been but never was, mostly because the marketplace at the time and record companies said, "Yeah, you're too heavy metal for what we're doing right now, or too hard rock for what we're doing right now." just a few words on 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 Desperado and and bloodied but unbowed and just your time with D and um, just how was that? I loved it. I mean, um, I uh, didn't really know a great amount about Twisted other than they had uh, basically two chart hits over here um, really early on. Um, the, um, I am on. He and um, uh, the other one. I can't remember what the other one was anyway. But um, so I was, um, I didn't really know an awful lot about him. But I mean, I just, he was just such a, a talented, you know, funny explosion of a guy. I mean, it was just the kind of a privilege, honestly, to do anything with him. Um, I kind of think that the band was run, you know, it was run like um, a mid-80s band at the point that the record companies were starting to get a bit tighter in terms of finances, you know. And we signed to Elektra, and I think that that was a mistake because Elektra were not really... um, a rock label in the tense Atlantic was, you know. So, um, but it was just, I mean, I could, you know, D and I are friends still. I mean, uh, you know, we communicate fairly irregularly, but um, I love him. I just love him. And it was a great, great band. I mean, Clive on the drums, Clive uh, Burr. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you about Clive, because it is sort of one of the last recordings of his that was released. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. What was it like to have Clive, obviously, you know, known for all his contributions to Iron Maiden? Yeah, yeah. um, Well, I mean, I kind of um, knew people who kind of played with Clive in the the mid-70s, so um, we'd all always been aware of each other, you know, so it was, um, um, Clive was just, you know, uh, he, he was just great, I mean, he was a complete 
um, I, you know, he would kind of try and blag Nonny out of anyone, <laughs> so, including me, including D. You know, so but he was just such a great, positive, funny guy and an amazing drummer. I mean, because he had all of the technical stuff and he had feel too. He was just, yeah, I'm. I, I mean, every time I think about Clive's passing, I, it's, I, I get so sad, you know, because he was he was a lovely guy, lovely guy. Yeah, he really was. And um, be, being diagnosed with with uh, multiple sclerosis as he was, um, that that yeah. that that's that really is just. Uh, it gets to you because here you've got this guy who's a, who's a drummer and he's got all kinds of stuff going on and and just to sort of watch him become less uh, of that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was hard. It was it was very hard. Um, so we'll 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 wrap it up back here then with with Dublin Cowboy, uh, the album of course uh, out April seventh and uh, three discs, uh, new, acoustic and live. Do uh, do you hit the road? Uh, other than some of the UK dates that have already been announced, there's there's shows obviously through April. Does May, yeah, June, I, July see you touring? Um, I have some festivals on. Um, haven't haven't. Uh, I'm hoping to do some Scandinavian and German shows at the end of the year, um, and Irish. Um, um haven't uh, a great amount on the summer, to be honest, but I need a holiday. <laughs> I really do need a holiday, Mitch. So it's, it isn't the complaint. Yeah, I think I think we're we're all at that point where we where we need a holiday, Bernie. This has been absolutely a a great great pleasure. And Cheers. Uh, thank you very much. You know, and I've had a chance, like I said, to to preview the album and the tracks I yeah. heard. Uh, in good vernacular, were just slamming. I mean, they were just fantastic. It was That's just great. High Thank quality you. I really stuff. appreciate that. Yeah. So oh, uh, there we go. As an old man, I'm glad. To, I'm glad to hear that. Still <laughs> well, you've still got it. Today. You've still got it. So good on you. And uh, there you yeah. go. Thank you. Cheers, Mitch. Thank you. Cheers. And there you have it, folks. My interview with guitarist Bernie Torme. Check out his new album, at Dublin Cowboy. You can head over to bernietorme.co.uk while checking stuff out. Please. Check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Bye for now. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. Scientists revealed last week Saturn's moon Oncladus is home to liquid water and chemical energy, raising the moon's potential for supporting life from nope to icy all the way to I bet rich folks have already bought the coolest places. Also discovered on Oncladus were the basic necessities of life. Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, a Netflix subscription, and two Starbucks in locations of differing convenience. 
And finally, in the world of podcasting, a local comedy news writer only found one story he felt like making fun of this week. Authorities are warning listeners the third segment of the news will be too meta. For more dangerously useful news, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday on Podcast One right here on the Jericho Network. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.